and welcome to Across the Board. We're on episode 14, 15, episode something. This is the, uh, we're talking specifically about some adaptive athletic stuff today. Uh, we have an expert in Parkinson's degree, uh, disease, more of an expert because he's, because, yeah, degree. Yeah, I'm all messed up today. Uh, as you can tell, I don't really have much of a voice, um, but we have a, uh, an athlete here with us today, a special guest. Mike Qualia, who uh, suffers from Parkinson's disease and trains here at this gym. He's also uh, a coach himself. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about more about some of the things that he's going through and also what he does. I've got my co-host over here, Coach Elise, as usual. And it's me, Coach B, running the show over here. Kelly's behind the scenes somewhere taking pictures and making sure that all of our new lights and stuff works good. Make sure that our stuff is all working. When our internet eventually goes down, she's going to get it back up, hopefully. And that's what we got going on today. So uh, without further ado, I just want to do some quick recap from the last show. Last show was our, our goal-setting show. Yep, goal Real setting. fast. Hopefully some of you guys got to watch. I know it was in three pieces, which is why it's not up on podcast yet, because we're new to this podcasting thing. So we're figuring out how to get those chunks out and put them all together in one thing. You have bad information. It Ooh. is up on podcast. <laughs> This is news to me. What do you know? It's up on podcast already, so you can definitely check that one out. Um, if you didn't already, go back, check out some goal-setting stuff. But today, we're talking specifically about, like I said, working with adaptive athletes, and more specifically, uh, with Mike's adaptation with uh, Parkinson's disease. Because you guys know I'm an adaptive athlete. You can just look on the screen and see that. I got one arm, and you guys know that I work with a lot of types. But this is a little uh, this is a little bit different. Most people, when they think of like adaptive athletics and they see me, they think of like working with amputees. They don't think of uh, things like Parkinson's disease or MS or CP and things like that. So this is really interesting stuff. Uh, if you're into this end of fitness, definitely check it out, share it, uh, start a watch party, all that good stuff, and uh, let your friends know about what we got going on. Uh, without further ado, I kind of want to jump into this a little bit. Mike. My friend, you have been training here now for how long? A little over six months. A little over six months. All right. Uh, and let's just hear some unadulterated stuff from you about like kind of like where where you feel like you're at now and, and, and what is different from like what you were doing before to what you're doing now. Okay. It's a good question. It's a little while. I mean, I'm not sure how to answer it exactly, but I'll start off with I started exercising roughly six years ago. I was eight years post-diagnosis of the disease, and I was about 230 pounds in terrible shape. <clears throat> and I found a program called Rock City Boxing online. Oh, nice. It's for Parkinson's, it's specifically for specific Parkinson's. And that's when I first started fighting back against the disease. It was beating me up very badly at that point. Boxing's a good way to start with that. There is. Good go. But it was a good start. But I did realize after a few years that the program wasn't working for me like it was when I first started. It became, uh, it became too, uh, kind of easier and easier and easier. It's uh, when I decided to join the CrossFit community. And I saw your gym here. And the biggest difference I've noticed is my core, my cardio system. Everything, <clears throat> excuse me, everything you guys do with the core. Oh, yeah. And what I really noticed about the athletes here, I do like the fact that you still call me an athlete. It feels good. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, um, everything deals with the core. And 
and I just I feel strong. I look at the guys in this gym, not a strong conclusion, but you don't look like typical big muscle heads here. Oh yeah. It's a huge yeah, I mean the core, the acceptance and everything about the whole cross community tremendous. Awesome. That's stuff I like to hear about it. And that does speak a lot to like sort of where we're at in the program. I want to back up real quick from where I should have started. Um, when you were first diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, that you said that was about eight years ago, right? No, it's not. It's diagnosed almost four, 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Okay, so you went a while without doing anything. I like, actually, my goal after I was first diagnosed, make as much money as I can because I want to prepare uh, myself when I couldn't live anymore. Now, now, for some of you that might be listening, um, so I, I know I have some followers and some friends that are adaptive coaches with me and, and are in like the training program and seminar staff with me and everything. It might be looking over here, it might like he's had Parkinson's for 14 years and doesn't look like it. So can you talk a little bit as to uh, like to that? Because you had kind of a, I don't want to call it unique, I'm sure there's been more of them, but you had uh, a surgery done. To, to help you along the way and everything and stuff. So I'd like to know a little bit about sort of like what changed there, if it opened up some doors for you while it also shut some along the way too, I think, uh, based off of what I've talked to you personally on. Stuff sure. Like the pos I mean, before DBS, a vision point with the parking was very stiff all the time, breaking, which is slowness of movements. But my motors, but as far as uh, my athletic ability, it was better back then when everything was on. Yeah. Unfortunately, the on period gets worse and worse and worse as the disease progresses. And what DBS has done for me, it's kept my on period much longer, maybe 90% of the time as opposed to 30 or 40, right. which is amazing. And maybe I don't take as much medication with the side effects on it's pretty well medication. So, but the thing with DBS, the tough part of dealing with now, you can see it in class, mm -hmm. but it's the choppiness. It's like having a flickering light up there for you to see that it does flicker up and lay like crazy. Right. That's how my left side is right now. So you can do, you can do dumbbell push dumbbells up there. Right. That kind of thing. That's been tough. My voice has been an issue too. Yeah. It goes in and out. So I try to keep it in the whole time, which is why I have strength. <laughs> Bit aid, baby. That's the answer question, right? Did that answer your question? I it mean, does. That's uh, and then from there, we've basically been able to honestly, like, I've I've never had the pleasure of working with an athlete uh, with Parkinson's disease as much as I I have with Mike. Uh, I do a lot of seminars, so I get to meet athletes with different. Um, whether it's a different adaptation or disorder that they're having to, to kind of cope with and, and get through. Uh, I've met a lot of athletes with a lot of different adaptive needs, and I have got to train with a few guys with Parkinson's disease, but never really like continuously train somebody uh, with it and everything. And what I found for myself is a lot more similar to training athletes with, at least for where you're at, your training is a lot more similar to training an athlete with a severe traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. uh, and it makes sense because the surgery that you had was a brain surgery, right? Yeah, actually, uh, they do look yeah. for people. One of the big questions to ask after that surgery because you have it when you're fully awake. You have to feel somebody drilling in your head while you're awake. Ooh. A little freaky, but yeah. So they do actually ask if you have PTSD afterwards. If you have any nightmares. 
That's what you do. Just from my experience in the hospital and being awake for something, like. I read about your, your experience in the hospital, by the way. It's amazing you can come back this far. It's amazing. I had support. <laughs> she kind of kicked me in the ass. She's like, stop being a pussy. No. <laughs> but, we have what, similar wives. And yeah, no, his wife is a badass. And he's always <laughs> telling and calling him out. He's like, oh, she how she treats me. And she's like, shut up, Mike. Because she's a little tiny thing, too. And she Don't gets on him. Yeah, Donna is the spirit. So, we we're going for We're just heading that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but uh, yeah, like I said, um, a lot of the stuff that I learned, uh, and I think that this is a little bit similar across the board. A lot of coaches, I think, are very, very timid to work with athletes with different types of adaptive needs. There may be people in different CrossFit gyms that'll take you in just because you're a dollar sign to them. And they'll be, yeah, come train here and just throw down and smash. But then there's other people that are more responsible that might look at it and be like, oh, I, I don't think I can mix this into a class and this and that. I can't manage it. And really, both those answers are kind of like we should be recognizing that this is a person that has some sort of an adaptive need and I need to pay special care to that. I need to make sure that I'm not just letting them do whatever, forgetting about them. But at the same time, you need a place to train and a place that, like, that is going to allow you to continue to grow as a person the same way anyone else is. Because at the end of the day, you're no different than, than me. Well, you are because you've got all your hands and stuff. But you're no different than anyone else that's walking around and comes into my gym that has all their limbs, that doesn't have anything going on behind the scenes aside from maybe some problems at home and stuff. We've all got our different things. It's just some of us sort of wear them you know, on our person we bring in and other people kind of keep them inside. And stuff. At the end of the day, though, I think that there are a lot of trainers and, and it's one of the things that I sort of preach when we go to seminars. I think that there's a lot of trainers that are afraid to work with uh, folks like you and I. Uh, I think even more specifically, they're afraid to work with folks with uh, Parkinson's disease or some other uh, more degenerative type of diseases because it's not one of those things that's going to, while you're going to see initial improvement and be able to, to hold on to some of those improvements, it still is a degenerative disorder. Like there's still going to be some, some setbacks along the way. And there's a lot of days where you might've made, and we've had that, those sort of things where we made progress and movements. And then all of a sudden it's just a bad day and it's just not clicking and it's frustrating for you. And it can be frustrating for coaches as well too. Um, the good thing you, about you guys here is coach, you yourself, Ron, Elise, and Jay. You guys have no problem pushing me when I'm not, when I'm not feeling it, which is hoping you push the as an athlete and person as an older person, too. I tend to make a push when you get moving again. Not that much older, Mike. We got a 60-year-old. We got a few 60-year-olds here. You can't be saying that. You're like the young crowd here. That's good. <laughs> this guy, well, it's good for you guys, I guess. Unless we all die off all of a sudden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either way. Um, so this question again, I uh, well, basically, like, what were some of the, um, for you, did you ever run into an experience where you met a trainer that was afraid to work with you, and on the other end of the spectrum, did you meet any trainers that were like, yeah, just jump in my class and just take your money, but didn't actually work with you? Did you meet trainers like that along the way before you got here and found people that are like, we're going to train you right, we're not going to baby you, but we're also going to pay attention and learn about what you have going on and continue to work with that and adapt things for you. So did you have people on those end of the spectrum before you came here? Or? I've been very fortunate in my life that way. I've been able to find people that can help me when I need to help. Right on. Good. So I can't complain. I'm 
very fortunate. I love hearing that. I think that that's coming up more and more. So good. Yeah. But you guys been a godsend to me. You have. I mean, Computer Royal was six months ago. Look at my back. I couldn't do a front with a barbell for that thing. I did, oh, yeah. I did over 115 pounds last time. It's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And your form was on point. <laughs> and I couldn't even be um, deadlift. I couldn't lift, deadlift 125 pounds on my back. I don't know. You got almost 300 pounds the other day. Oh, yeah. Now we have to make some changes on the deadlift recently. What do we do now for the deadlift? Oh, we got. I had the boxes up at first for the uh, I put it on the, the, the rack. On the rack, yeah. So we've done a few different things. Uh, so you guys know, uh, you may be able to go on and see if you follow Mike over, uh, go on to one of his social media things. You can see some of his videos up there on Facebook and stuff. Um, originally, we were having him pull some weight off of the floor on certain days just because he still, he doesn't always have blocks to lift off of. But because of... Um, because of where he's at in Parkinson's disease uh, and, and some of the, the mobility issues that come with that. When he bends over, there's only a certain point where he can really kind of like flex his back and everything. And then he starts to round his back a little bit. If he's gonna pick something up off the ground at home, he doesn't like nobody shows up magically to put it up on blocks and stuff to pick it up. So sometimes we still do have Mike pick things up off the ground, but the majority of the training that we do now just to put him in a more ideal position and get his core functioning properly. We have him pull off of blocks. And recently we've gone to uh, from the blocks over to doing rack pulls because we can move that down incrementally along the way. And it creates a little bit more accuracy because the way that we have the rack set up, we're using J cups instead of the long arms. So he has to put it right down on the same spot every time and really focus on that. Um, so those are like some of the small adaptations that we made along the way to help him continue to do the same things that everyone else is doing next to him. He's just got to actually get it. He actually gets extra work in because the blocks here are heavy. So he's Very over there. Yeah. He's got to move a bunch of extra equipment just to do it. But I had to do the same thing when we started doing this stuff. Uh, but it doesn't mean that he can't train in with the classes and everything. He just has to, like some of the stuff that you do just looks a little bit different. But at the end of the day, you're doing the same workouts as everyone else. You're doing the same program as everyone else. You're hitting the same stimulus whether we want like a high heart rate or it's a long slow sort of like run feeling yeah. workout and stuff like that or a heavy day mike's hitting all that stuff just like everyone else a little slow a little slower than everyone not always not always you see you see this guy run not slower than everyone else not slower at I least can't. for a little while <laughs> i can always sprint but i cannot i cannot last until. yeah we don't have mike run suicide sprints anymore no, it's a little too hard. I can show you the scar a little bit later. <laughs> you were killing it all the way until that last round. Yeah, but my I'm very competitive with my wife Donna. I'm really wanted this thing right now. She ended up beating me because I fell on her one arm. That's Friends, why. I, I, I think Donna was beating him and he did the fall. <laughs> Just so he had to, I don't I mean I don't know. I didn't see all of it. I didn't see all of it. I was just cheering the guys through it. it was, that was a fun day, too. Was a good one. Love the workouts. Hit up the high intensity. Up love the people here. It's a great place. You know, your kettlebell swing has come a long way, too. And that's like, I always feel like that's one of like the foundations of, of a lot of like fit fitness-type movements and everything. And the deadlift is nice to be able to pull from the floor and keep your back in a good position. But to get that sort of conditioning, like to, to get those there, I was really surprised to see that be one of the movements 
to come through first for you? I thought it was going to be like squatting or push-ups or some of these other things. Testament to you guys because you guys focus on quality of quantity. Yes. You're making sure I'm doing these things right so I don't hurt myself. That's the goal. And you guys are always on me for that, but I mean in a good way. So that's the best part about working on here. That's validating for me. It really is. Uh, Coach Elise, you got anything from Mike real quick? I know you had a couple of things that you were interested to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the training methodology, um, about, you know, just adapting little things as we go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big thing that a lot of people don't hit is recovery. How's recovery different for Ooh. you than it is for, you know, for say your wife? It's a good question. It's a really good question. Uh, and I'm trying to answer it this way again. For me, recovery is if I work too if I push myself too far, I'll know the next day. Because my my symptoms will be worse. I won't be able to sleep at night. My voice will be worse. Like it is right now. Yeah, I hear this a lot when I'm not doing well. But either way, it's tough mentally, physically. It's more draining out of me than I was. This very draining one. Recovery time, it's very draining for me. So today's my off day because I needed more. Because right. we started a million mile, a million meter row thing. Oh yeah, my God. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Mike is rowing a freaking million meters in a year. Go ahead. Tell thanks him what you're to, doing. Thanks to Ned Newhouse. Shout out to Ned there, my, my friend up in Chicago. <laughs> uh, Ned, start, Ned talked to JoJo McDuffie, part of the Rock City Boxing. Program. Okay. And JoJo, Ned, they put it out that they're going to do this millimeter roll thing. My friend Christian Bander from Vegas joined. Christian's up to 80,000 meters, by the way. He's an animal. <laughs> <laughs> I get my shoulder fixed up and get on it. But I've been a that, they signed up, then I just said, I, I'm in. I'm in. And I signed up for 30,000 meters right now. Should get up to 40 by the end of the week. And you're doing. About twenty thousand a week, right? Like five thousand four times four times a week, something like that. Or if you don't get it, you kind of backfill it in. Exactly. Well, we're at, yeah, I'm at thirty thousand and change right now, so I'm target. A lot of fun, and I should get lean. Lean this finally. Well, we're starting to kind of hone in a little bit of technique. Like I saw Ron working with you about straightening that chain out and trying to focus on that a little bit. It's a good thing. Too, so. again, the good thing about this gym is you guys always focus on quality with the workouts. So between Ron and Matt, I have three people from the gym signed up to do this with me. I can't, I couldn't believe when other people decided to have around and wanted to help me out. That's the great thing about it. Honestly, there's a few other ones that wanted to, but I got them out of it because they have, I have like Lawrence and stuff. He was like, I'll do that too. And I'm like, hey, dude, you've got, you're 60 years old. This is your window for the CrossFit games. You have a program to follow. Yeah, guys like Lawrence, I mean, it's what you, makes your gym special. The people here and the people you, the people you guys attract. Because you guys, it makes this place special. It's a good place. But old people like me, so they like it. We like do have a lot of old people. <laughs> it's good, though. I like it. I like it. Because you know what? It gives a lot of, like, when I have, when I have the 20 to 25-year-old kids that come in here and start giving me excuses and stuff, and I've got you training over there. 
you know, and you're you're not a spring chicken, and you have Parkinson's, and then you have me over in a corner lifting, and then you got Lawrence who's 60 years old, and Liz Jennings who's in her 60s, double knee replacements and stuff like that. And like, these are the things that when I get those kids and they're being weak, I'm like, you know, you're just not gonna be a good fit here. You, should, you know, you figure it. You're either gonna figure it out. You're gonna get catch up to these people and be inspired by them, or you're gonna move on. And I don't feel bad if they move on because it opens up the door for another slot for somebody come in and like, don't get me wrong, I'm a business, I still need to make money, but I don't even make money off of bad clients and we don't cater to that. We cater to the people that come in and do the work, just like you do, Lawrence does, me and Elise and Kelly do and stuff. And we try to set that example as much as we can from the top down. I think that's sort of why we breed those sort of, that sort of culture. And you could probably speak more to it than, than I can because you're in it. It's so. a good accepting culture, that's all I can say. The whole because when you hear CrossFit, you think of the big muscle heads. Just automatically, it's what I thought of. Then I walk, then I walked in here, side of the blue, because you guys down the road from me. And actually, there was a gentleman I met outside your place one day, outside the, the breakfast place next door. He couldn't rave enough about this place. Well, I wish I could have his name, but he couldn't rave enough about you guys as trainers. He said he talked specifically about the adapt, the adapted part, and how you helped. Because he was like in his 50s and he said, I guess helped him, but couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah, exactly. It was. Yeah. It was a big guy. Oh, I think I know who he was too. Yeah, I think it was the guy that I was working on early on. Uh, yeah, he's a cool guy. I can't remember his name either. I think that was one of my first clients. Actually. I don't know if he yeah. couldn't afford it or he just didn't have time for it. I think it was the time to ask him. But he, he couldn't rip it off all you guys. I kept that in the back of my mind that's when I came back two or three months later. It's been all Perfect. I'm glad. I would know we would have popped out and pulled you in two or three months later. Yeah, I know. I know. I I yeah. But uh yeah, any other questions for me? Well, we went over recovery, went over million mile row or a million meter row. A million we keep like, messing that up. It's not a million a million miles is a lot more meters, guys. Yes. You're working a lot. Six hundred uh, meters a mile. Correct, it'd be like uh, times a million, it'd be a lot of money. It'd be a lot. Yeah, it's almost like double it. <laughs> like one and a half times that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like 1.5 million meters or something like that. Yeah, a lot of meters. So, piggybacking uh, off of our last week's episode, do you have any goals for this year? Okay, it's not a good question. My goals this year are to lean out, which goes, goes with the wrong. In the fasting. In the fasting. In the fasting. Oh, yeah, I do, I do the, I'm doing the fasting right now. Which is, got him on a little bit of intermittent fasting. I, I had good results with it. I talked to a few people. We got a few people kind of managing their way through that, too. And the whole box is really behind you right now, too. Because it's good for the brain for what I'm working for. It is. Great for autoimmune response stuff. Do you still do any of the Wim Hof stuff? No, I do not. Like, I'm sorry. That's right. I'm off it right now, too. I I'm a big fan of it, but. When I was diagnosed with spasmatic dysphonia, which is oh, that's right, yeah, yep, the voice spasms. That's right. My doctor recommended that to do that. Yeah. Right. Yep, that's understandable. Yep. So I, yeah, I mean, I loved Wim. He's a good guy, a funny guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the marketing people get hold me up. Sometimes they look a little foolish sometimes. Absolutely. Oh yeah, all that. It's easy to do when you're pioneering new methods. It's a marketing, I mean, it's a subject for another day, but no, yeah. it's a podcast. And that being said, too, while we're on that subject, remember, guys, just because something works for a lot of people, like, 
that doesn't mean it works across the board for everybody. And I've been like that. Like I, some people have heard me talk. That's why I brought it up. I've talked about Wim Hof breathing before and stuff. And I'm a big believer that, that it's one of those things that like it's a missing link for people that can really help the majority of people. But obviously there's some folks that doesn't fit for. Mike was a guy that was getting good results for it for some ends and then for other for other things it was hurting things. And at the end of the day, it, you kind of had to pick like, I like this stuff, but it's affecting too many other things. So I don't know if it's affecting it or not. It's a thing. Uh, but my doctor just recommended you can breathing that. Right. Choose some. Do it. We'll see how it works out. So. No. Listen to doctors too. Until you, until they say some crazy. Stuff. Until they tell you something like yeah, they told me, like don't ever, don't ever work out again. Then don't listen to your doctor. <laughs> doctors telling you not to work out unless you're like in a hospital bed or something like that. Like if you're released from the hospital and they're like, don't ever work out again, that's a bad doctor. You know what doctors say about part? Before, before I was diagnosed, 10 years before I was diagnosed, they did not recommend exercise for anybody with Parkinson's. No exercise at all. That's crazy. It is crazy. That doesn't, how are you gonna elongate your quality of life? Like that's literally like the purpose of Doing fitness, doing something fitness when you get diagnosed with something like Parkinson's, the reason why you start working out is to elongate how long you have that quality of life and everything, not shorten it. And I think these things you just sit there, like you're just gonna everything's gonna get worse. Everybody knows that movement is better. It's crazy when doctors say things like that to me. Blows my mind. I believe that that was all going off of the the now the debunked um, mindset for um, healthy people and they just kind of applied it to Parkinson's where you have a certain amount of energy that you can expel so you shouldn't work out and instead they applied it without you know one of those you know it doesn't make sense it makes sense if you don't think about it like oh you have Parkinson's you have a movement disorder so you only have so much movement before it gets worse don't do anything instead of extending extended feel better in the long term and short term. I mean, I've reversed so many symptoms over the last, what, last eight years since I first started exercising, six years now. Reverse amazing amount of symptoms. People don't even realize I have Parkinson's so they watch me at this point. Oh, listen to me because my voice is going or not. Yeah, but you just say you got laryngitis. <laughs> so I'm working with right now. Can I ask you guys a couple questions? Yeah, ask us some questions. Absolutely. Fire away. I was reading about reading up on both you guys. And can you tell the, me a little bit about your whole background and tell me what happened? Oh, yeah. Um, so I was an infantryman in the Army. I did a couple of deployments with the 101st. And on my, my second deployment uh, in Afghanistan, I got uh, attacked by a suicide bomber. Dude put on a, a vest, a guy that was like living with us on our base. Um, put on a vest and ran up behind a whole bunch of us. He was sitting about as close to me as you are now, or ran up and blew up about as close to me as you are now, or somewhere in that ballpark is pretty close. Um, and then I woke up in a hospital four days later to find out that I was down an arm. I mean, I, I was awake and aware while it was all going on. And it, you guys can look up more of the story there, but I don't want to waste too much time with it. I want to get to the good stuff. But that's okay. I mean, I did read about the the coma you were four days. Yes. Yeah. Back to every bone was broken in your face. Yeah. They're still broken. 
there's a few that are still on like I have unhealing fractures in like my cheek and orbitals and stuff like uh, I always get nervous like like I, I I don't mind fighting but I don't anymore and it's one of the reasons why I'll never go back to like MMA or boxing or even like sparring with people and stuff because like I've taken a few shots to the face either with a fall or like one time I got jumped by somebody and, and stuff and like I feel things move around and it's miserable um it, yeah so face was messed up both my legs were in really really bad shape um they were telling me I wasn't going to walk or anything it was, it was it was brutal and it was a lot of uh like we talked about earlier there were a lot of doctors that i think were just afraid to give false hope and would rather just be like give me the negative be like you can't walk anymore you're never going to be able to do all these things than tell me something like if you lose some weight and start exercising maybe you'll be able to do some of these things you know what i mean and that right there it set me kind of like way down in the hole that's why i gained all sorts of weight got depressed and then I was lucky enough uh, to have her kind of start pushing me and That's my daughter you, kind of at the same time. You were walking to the hospital, correct? Two years. And I think when you first met her, you just stared her from afar, right? Am I correct in that? <laughs> you used to stare at me. I didn't, I didn't, but, <laughs> yeah, you did. All right. So, yeah, when I first, first met her, like, yeah. And I thought she was somebody's wife. Like, I was, I was like <laughs> she must be, like, some, some lucky dude, like, has a badass wife. And then I found out that she wasn't, and she was actually the daughter of like some very close friends of mine. We were both dating somebody at the time, you know, so we just got to be really good friends. So you knew her dad? Yep. Yep. Her dad was being treated at the same time as me. Uh, he was uh, a first sergeant in the Army that got cancer from burnt and smoke inhalation. He was on multiple deployments, and on his last one, he's a medic, and he's working in a, uh, you can probably speak more to this than I can, um, he's working in a, a prison, right, over, over there. And, uh, his first deployment was a prison. The second one, he was doing training. He was uh, he was uh, being being a medic in uh, smaller units. Uh, you wind up being needs of the uh, needs of your company as you go through. So he wound up getting farmed out to a lot of infantry units and doing things like that. But while he was on base, he was you know he felt he felt off. He had some lumps show up that he thought were terrors. Went got an X-ray done about it. And uh, looked like his lungs were filled with buckshot, so they went did the test, found out that he had cancer, and it just kind of it was extremely aggressive, and it just swept through him like wildfire. So that's so, where that's where we met, and me and him became fast friends there, um, and he introduced us and everything. So we tested Yeah. And she pushed you along, get you out of the bed. She. Uh, if you guys get closer, right? She helped you recover or decide to get up and fight back a little bit. A little Whether bit. Whether you liked it or not. Yeah, well, at the, yeah, exactly. At the beginning, it was a lot of, um, I, I made a lot of excuses for sure. And there was a while where she kind of like let me because she didn't know how much of it was. We were still new to each other. I don't think she knew how much of it was an excuse and how much of it was, uh, was, was real. And then, couple of things kind of all came together where she started to get back in shape after our after she had our daughter and at the same time our daughter decided to stand up and start walking towards me at like seven or eight months old i can keep up with my wife and my daughter now okay you know and then she kind of pushed me to start trying to do something crossfit related and i did and one thing kind of led to, to another i used to do it in my army unit we, we 
I've been doing it for a long time. So um, you know, Brendan hates bad form, so I just oh, yeah. come into the house every day and be like, "Is this the way you squat?" And oh then just throw into a ball. Train <laughs> train <laughs> and she's like, no, like, no, no, and then she's like, "You do it better than." I was like, "Fine, I will." <laughs> That's kind of how that started. That's good. So, but you gained how much weight did you gain? You went up to two hundred. The highest I ever weighed myself when I stopped looking at. I know I got heavier than this. The highest I ever saw on scale was two seventy two. What do you weigh now? Like buck seventy maybe. One seventy. Ninety pounds. How do you even breathe it that way? I can't imagine your breathing was constant. I did. It was a long process. So. He's a very sleepy bear. <laughs> Uh, you came back though. That's yeah. a great thing about what you're doing now. So you came back and you started just getting back into CrossFit. Yep. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So that was where I got into the adaptive world, and that was actually why I'm able to do what I what I do with you. Actually, it's actually really important that I did this uh, right away uh, when I wanted to do CrossFit. I looked up. I didn't know what the term was. Uh, I was looking up disabled CrossFit and handicapped fitness and things like that. I'd never heard of adaptive athletics before. And this is back in, what are we talking, 2012, 2013? Okay, and the term was out there, but it wasn't as commonplace as it is now. And uh, I just happened to stumble on a video of, you know, adaptive CrossFit competitions. What was that? And I saw on the picture, like the thumbnail, was a picture of a woman named Kendra Bailey who had a similar amputation to mine. And her arm was like in this sling thing, and it looked like she was about to do like a pull up or something. And I was like, I was a pull up beast when I was in my army unit. And I was like, I just want to go back. I just want to be able to do a pull up again. That'd be awesome and stuff. And I watched a bunch of videos, and I learned about uh, this organization called Crossroads Adaptive Athletic Alliance and Working Wounded Games, which is our was for a long time our version of the CrossFit Games. Mm-hmm. And I made a goal to go down and meet these people and compete with them. And we got in touch with all of them. And they, right away, that community was just like ours. Like I reached out online. I was like, hey, I'm new to this stuff. What do I do? And they're like, here's all of the information. You know, we want to help. Come with us. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll join this cult. You know, and I jumped into that. And they started teaching me a lot of different stuff along the way. And then I became a trainer and I started to learn and innovate along the way from there with some of the things some things didn't apply the same way to me because i'm not a congenital amputee and i have a lot of other things going on i also did this fitness before so it wasn't like coming from a, a fresh start i knew how movement was supposed to look and i was just trying to match that up and because i spent my whole life with two arms instead of trying to like make this arm match what this arm was doing. I tried to make this arm match what this one was doing and it made my movement much more symmetrical, which was something again, that was kind of like missing in the, at least for the upper body. And I went from being just a new guy out there to being a, a serious competitor to being one of the guys that everyone's looking to for like arm amputees. Serious competitor who actually won it, didn't you, one year? He came in first place. Oh yeah. Uh, I, um, I did it serious competitor. Oh, yeah. The only upper arm amputee to win the working wounded games. Yeah. So, I mean, there's they have different divisions now at the working wounded games. Like they have like an upper body, but I'm the only upper body amputee to win like the overall the open division of the working wounded game. I think I saw that on CBS Evening News. There's a story on the wounded games and which one of the people profile. Did you know that? 
didn't know that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I found on CBS Evening News. Oh, like yes. on. <laughs> I didn't know. Did you look it up? <laughs> I gotta find it. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that was big though. Uh, that being said though, as a competitor, that taught me a lot because that year I was like, I wanted to go back and repeat. I wanted to be like Rich Froning and I, I doubled down because what I did to win that year, I was one of the first adaptive CrossFitters to train like a professional athlete. Up till that point, it was more of like a drink beer, throw down with your buddies and see who's fitter after doing that. I went my first year and I got 13th out of like 50 something athletes and that's what I was doing. So I was like, well, if I want to get 12 more spots up, I need to train harder and focus on that. And I did. And there were a lot of guys that were like, you don't need to do that. If you're overtraining, you're going to get hurt, blah, blah. Like, no, because I'm going to learn. I went to the CrossFit competitors course. I did everything that I could to learn how to be a professional athlete competitor. I have some experience there too, because I was a, a, a high level motocross prospect before and everything. So like, and then in my military unit, it was a very, uh, we're not like elite, like we're not, um, elite forces were not uh, special operations but we do a lot of high-speed stuff and i was we were a very very professional unit there too so i understood what sort of work it took to get to that point and that second year when i went to kind of repeat is when i started to rack up injuries and i recognized that for me the crossfit thing at a competition at the competition end was not sustainable and especially because i had started to coach more and become more interested in coaching and helping people with what i was doing and that was kind of the big goal in the first place anyways uh, i started to realize that it's not that i don't know how to recover it's that i just wasn't going to give myself the time because when i was supposed to be doing my recovery work i was coaching classes i was doing a one-on-one for free with an athlete to just help them with something because they took an injury or this that and the other thing and I was giving more of myself to other people than I was giving back to myself in the recovery. And when you're competing as a professional athlete, you have to be very selfish. And that's where I stepped away from it and started focusing on coaching. And that's where I started to learn about more than just upper body uh, adaptation. And I became like a jack of all trades and I can work with athletes now like that are wheelchairs, like EFTs, TBI, and all these different like crazy things. And I started to become like a flow master and a, a leader. So you came back as a coach, Rick come back as a coach, set up a gym in Seekonk, I believe, right? I started off over there. They went to a different owner, though, and the new owner was uh, me and him just didn't see eye to eye. So when I left, I was like, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And within a few days, I just had a whole bunch of people that were calling me and they were like, I just want to train with you. And they're all people that I recovered injuries for. They weren't adaptive athlete. But what I did is when somebody like took a foot injury or an arm injury, I trained them and told them keep coming in like yeah i have you have no excuse if you break your hand because i'm literally lifting with one hand they'll tell me you can't go to the gym you know and i would continue to train them and they continue to get fitter and, and they'd recover faster that's out of your garage right like that that's out of your garage was yep we yep. started in the garage yep the garage this is where we, we got that thing rolling with a few people i don't know how long it was after that it's like six months later we just had way too many people i came here to summer since then Yep. It's an amazing story. It is a really an amazing story. I'm going to put you on my podcast, too. It's Two Mike's right, Radio Show on, on RadioBlockies.com. Check that out, check by the way. Out. Little plug. He's got an awesome podcast, too. And you get a lot of guests on there, don't you? you I've had over 50 guests talk about to tell me this story about the Parkinson's story over the last three years. Very full. <laughs> Great people with Parkinson's out there. 
type of your adaptive athlete to get guys like Christian Banda, I mentioned him earlier, doing 80,000 miles of rowing so far. Ned Newhouse went 26 minute uh, 5K, 26 minute guy. He was goal was 190, 26 minutes. Damn. Jimmy Troy, he was an amazing person, was on. Jimmy, he was on the Ninja, American Ninja Warrior show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 17, 18 years now. Guy's in incredible shape. It's just a few. Rhonda Foles, she's in the, in the group as well. Rhonda's won 97 marathons. She's some amazing people overcoming this disease by exercise. So for those of you out there that end up seeing this, some of my buddies that are adaptive coaches and everything, make sure you look this guy's podcast up and check into that. Because I know some of you guys in that DC area and everything, uh, some of my friends that kind of got me started are are big in that world and like uh like love like i don't want to say that it's rare to to meet the, obviously like it, there's there is a group of adaptive athletes out there and there's a movement that's coming up but, but to to see now a lot of it at the beginning and one thing that i noticed was at the beginning it was a lot of able-bodied people that felt for adaptive athletes and started helping them and now it's like the adaptive athletes that are running their shows Opening oh, yeah. their gym, Absolutely. becoming coaches. I'm a coach. I teach Rock City Boxing on Thursday night. Yes, on Wednesday do. nights at Jim and Tom. We we'll teach Saturday mornings next too because uh, yep. I'm getting two. I'm coaching two, two days now. Saturdays and Wednesdays. And I have some seven-year-olds doing burpees every night. A lot of fun. <laughs> seven-year-olds with Parkinson's doing do, burpees. Doing burpees. <laughs> so what's your freaking excuse? Go to the gym already. <laughs> Good stuff. And that's one of the beauties. Uh, I do want to speak real quick about the beauties of training in a gym that has adaptive athletes. Uh, I remember an old video that my buddy put up, my buddy Chef Hollage, who is one of the founders of the Adaptive Athletic Alliance, Crossroads Adaptive Athletic Alliance. And he had a YouTube video you can find about adaptive assets. And that's what he considered his adaptive athletes at his gym. Because if his goal was to have one in like every single class, because every single class he now pointed somebody and be like, "Why are you making an excuse?" Because they're not. And, oh, yeah. and he found that any class in an adaptive athlete group I went into, and I found this at Seacom too. Any class that I was in, classes that you sign up for and stuff now, people jump into those classes. They want to be there and grab a bit of that power because everybody looks at it. When we're not an adaptive athlete, and I remember back when I was completely able-bodied and still in the army, and I would see this dude that like lost a leg and was still weightlifting. I'm like, man, that guy's got heart. And now I'm over there doing it, and I'm just kind of going through my motions. And people say the same thing, but people jump around that. They want to grab a piece of that and be inspired by you to help them through their workout. Pretty good. Something I saw online. Now, who is World Pull of Champion? Uh, oh, God, but now. it's not anymore. Well, it uh, was him. It was Guy, yeah. But he looked at you in surprise. I saw the video that he looked at you, looked at you for inspiration. He saw a guy with one arm doing pull-ups, and he couldn't believe it. So he was like over 3,000 pull-ups. Okay. Yeah, that was a raw guy. Yeah. I, I didn't do that. Guy no, but the run. fact that he used his inspiration must make you feel good. It was. It, it did. And that was an awesome event, too. We got to go up to New York City for that because Spike TV was filming it. So did it <laughs> was good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> Uh, shout out to guy out there who was the uh, the old uh, world record uh, pull up world record holder. Uh, he just got beat recently by another marine, so I don't think he's too bad. Heard about it, uh, but he did in 24 hours. He did 5,862 pull ups. Uh, I did. I don't know. I did. We weren't counting them. Really, any mom four times five thousand? Yeah. 
Oh, he was in pain. And oh, he, was in, he had nerve damage. He couldn't feel his hands for three months after and everything. But, yeah. but he wanted to break a world record, and that's what you're going to do. You've got to hurt to get there. But they're not going to leave. At least not at this point. Go back 100 years, and the record might be easier to break. I don't know. Josh, Rob, listen, Josh. Can you, I mean, he's one who's, he's another depth about the other party. He deadlifted 675 pounds. Which is crazy i don't have i don't think i might have a 600 pound deadlifter in my in the barbell club in the back if i keep calling my barbell club it's matt scott's barbell club but we have a barbell club that trains in my gym and we have some strong olympic weightlifters and powerlifters and i think i have a guy in big steve that pulls in the the low sixes maybe i might be i might be wrong so hopefully i'm not feel bad here but what did you say 670 675 675 not give a shit if it's straps or not like <laughs> that's, that's what people all the time when they when because when you set like a world record deadlift like world's strongest man like eddie hall when he did the 1100 pounds mm-hmm. i heard somebody say yeah but he did it with straps oh he picked <laughs> up 1100 pounds straps or not like i don't care like look if you're using straps for a 300 pound deadlift and you want to be like proud of that it's fine okay and stuff but once you're getting up over the fours and fives and stuff yeah and, and especially if you have parkinson's disease you use straps it's crazy go ahead and lift go ahead put straps on i challenge anybody to put straps on and lift that weight and, and stuff like that's a feat of strength that is strong nobody can walk in off the street or do farm work and deadlift six seven what is the benefit of deadlifts for somebody with a disease like me I think the benefit of deadlift is the same for anybody. It's just uh, when you deadlift, you're working every single muscle. When you do it properly, you work every single muscle in your body in a specific firing order. Um, And it literally works. Like when you're deadlifting, a lot of people don't understand at the top of the deadlift, the weight's actually suspended from the top of your head. Your hip flexor actually attaches up here. It turns into something else and does this crazy firing thing. I'm not going to get too much into anatomy and physiology, but when we're at the top of a deadlift, good technique weight suspended here through our body which is pretty crazy when you do that you're taxing everything in your body you're definitely affecting your central nervous system because it has to turn on through that pole and everything and i do think especially for athletes that are suffering from uh things that are more neurological in nature things that are affecting their brain i think that movements that tax that, that create more systemic growth, attack the nervous system that way, like the back squat, the deadlift, the clean and press, things like that, that get your body firing in a specific order and, and stuff. I think that there's a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And I don't know, cause I'm not, I'm not a scientist. Right? I've, I've done my own little looking into this, but I think that for athletes like you, it starts to continue to, to develop some neural pathways where your body would otherwise start to go down some some negative route and because of like uh parkinson's you might start to move differently because you're going in and pairing off with that deadlift every week and everything you're working on position your body is fighting that and still creating those good neural pathways those good habits along the way i think that's really what's going on makes sense neural pathways creating putting neural pathways was what this whole exercise machine is all about parking. So. No. And you can't do that with an exercise machine, by the way. Like if you have a machine that moves you or like a Smith machine that picks up and that's the machine doing the work. But when you just have a free weight out there and you're picking it up off the ground and putting it down and you have to control that. Really? That's your nerve. Yeah. 
like if you have like those those bench press machines that are just on a straight line, you have guys that can move stupid weight on that. But then they get out here and they're all sorts of all over the place. And they have no stability because they don't have a neural pathway for that. They just have like yeah, they build some neural pathways to build the muscle, but not that kinesthetic awareness to control the barbell and stuff. That's why a lot of those bodybuilders don't have great body awareness and can't do a lot of this stuff. And the guys that do cross over to it and start doing this stuff end up going to like CrossFit games and stuff because they can get so much muscle activation. So I do think that there's a lot of benefit to moving free weights, especially when you're like, do anything that's fitness related, first and foremost. If it's all you can do, use a machine. But for you and where you're at, I think that you're going to get a lot more out of moving the free weights and getting your body used to bracing here without a machine holding you up. That's you. That's you the, become the machine the at that point. Exactly. The balance, the balance is improved immensely in six months. Well, balance is almost directly linked to your central nervous system and your strength in, in, in your central nervous system and how much of those muscles that can activate your proprioception like through your feet right up through the floor and everything. So it's not really a huge, huge surprise to me. I'm glad that it's working like that. And I kind of, I half expected it to. But I never know when I get new athletes and stuff. And at the end of the day, like I, like I said earlier, I never worked with somebody for long term with Parkinson's disease. So I didn't know how much of that was going to improve. Actually, this is a learning experience for me too. I know I come in and you ask me a question, but some days, honestly, Mike, I give you answers and I'm like, I wonder if that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can usually tell, but I give a shot anyways and it's working. Nine times out of 10, we do pretty good. As far as so. the movements go with me, my biggest troubles with multiple movements at once. Yeah. And while my brains were in three different planes, supposed to do one move where I can push sled back and one. Yeah. Well, I think we're finding in our classes now, we're starting to find our stride on how to adapt and scale things. Like some things you automatically know, like a, say a thruster, for instance, which is a squat and then an overhead press. You go and you do your squats and then you go over and you do the overhead press yeah, separately. Yeah, I have trouble doing them combined. It's, it's just... Exactly. I'll, I'll, lift my, I'll get the thrust up and my freeze up. I just my legs don't want to move anymore. Yep. And at the same time, we know you're having a really good day when you can do those movements all of a sudden when it's like, hey, I got this. I can squat, come out of a press. You can do a clean hand press and stuff like that. Or we have one of those chipper workouts with a lot of movement. You know what I mean? Um, I think that, that that, you know, you get to leave with that one too. You know, like, hey, things are firing well for me today and stuff versus some of those other days where not, we're able to really kind of look at that along the way and understand that we're going to have our good days and our bad days. And we, instead of looking at it now, like, oh, it's a bad day. I can't do this. Now it's like, oh, it's a bad day. I just changed the movements. It's not even really scaling the workout. You often get the same workout, the same conditioning out of it. We just change up a couple little things so that you can get through a little bit and manage it better and leave with a win instead of feeling down on yourself. Scaling option, it really makes a difference fact that I scale to the individuals so it separates you from other gyms. Well, let me talk real quick about that. Uh, I'm going to school you here for a second. Good. So in the adaptive seminars, we talk about the difference between scaling and adaptive. Okay. Adaptive things are like, are more permanent. Okay. Like I'm never going to lift with two hands again. So like lifting with a dumbbell for me, well, everybody else is lifting with a barbell in like a snatch or a clean and jerk is not scaling. That's an adaptation. Does that make sense? Yes. So there's some things that we do that aren't necessarily scaling. They're just adaptations for where you're at per day. Does that make sense? Whereas some of the weights, like if we scale weight back for you because it's too heavy for you, now we scale. 
you know what I mean? Or like with pull-ups, like if we can't do pull-ups, so we use a band or yeah. something, that's a scaling option. Right. Versus, uh, for instance, like squatting to the box, that's an adaptive need. Or pulling off the blocks with the deadlift, that's an adaptation, not a scale. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Perfect. That's what we're here for. School in the world, folks. Um, I don't really got a whole lot else on this thing, man. You got anything else you want to ask me? Um, what did Lisa go? She took off? Probably not. Ditching us. She's ditching us. The adapt value to what you do, the acceptance, me and anybody else who's hurting. Um, I think I'm covering her. I think we're good. I don't know. Any good questions for me? You good? No, I don't think so. I think we got a lot of them covered down. I'm sure I'm going to think of a bunch of them as soon as we get off this thing. But Same. that'll lead us to the next show that we do together in a couple of months when we start talking a little bit more about Mike's progress and everything. I'll be ripped by things. I'll be really, I'll be Shredded. Shredded. Shredded up. Well, like, that's it. I don't talk about the rowing. Tell me about what, what, how good is rowing. Christian, I talked about a couple times. You told me rowing is good for 85% of the muscles in the body when you do it right. Yeah, when you do it right. So here's the thing with rowing. Rowing is a really simple way to train your body's firing order. And a lot of people don't think of their body in that, those terms. Like, but if, you, if you're a mechanic and you understand that there's like, you know, a timing and a firing order in the car when you're, when you're setting everything up and everything, like our body's sort of the same way. Our body will still run if we have the wrong firing order or the wrong timing, like a lot of cars or but if you have that wrong in a car, what happens? It runs like crap. Well, your body's going to run like crap too. So if you get on a machine like a rower, which at first you might not know what the heck you're doing and everything, but you get a good coach that starts to teach you how to push with the legs first and then when to open up the hips and lean back and then when to pull with the hand and then especially how to time it back and you get good technique with it. Now you're going from the bottom up and then the top down in the appropriate firing order for the body. And because it's more of like a like a monostructural movement that you repeat over and over, it's like cardio. It's not like it's not like doing bent over rows where you're gonna run out of strength. Like you just put that thing on five and you just keep going for 10, 20, 30 minutes, and you do a ton of pulls like that. If your pulls get better and better along the way, then your body is firing better and better along the way. If your pulls getting worse and worse along the way, then you're getting out of position. You might need to reset it. But you're working just like the deadlift, you're working almost every muscle in your body in an appropriate firing order. And on top of that, we do so many pushing type movements and we end up in this like crappy posture mm -hmm. from like looking at cell phones all the time and everything. Getting and sitting up tall, leaning back and pulling back towards you and pulling things back in here as opposed to being out here all the time on our computers and stuff, I think is really, really important. The only thing that I would add to like, honestly, if you get a rower, and you get some kettlebell, you've got the ultimate home gym. You get a pull-up bar on your house or actually some rings so you can do dips on them too and stuff. You don't need like the bench and you don't need a squat rack and all that stuff. You just need a rower, so a kettlebell, and some rings. Got functional strength, right? That's it. And then you're going to get so strong and so fit with those things. And they're all movements that are really simple to kind of build good motor recruitment patterns with. I notice about the rolling when I, when I do it right, it feels very smooth. And yeah, you can feel the pull when I pull it back. It's it feels great. Well, well, when I'm not firing right in my brain, I have trouble connecting. Yeah, the rhythm of it. I have trouble with the rhythm. Right. I, I mean, I could dance before I was younger. 
full posture. That was a good dancer. I thought I was. Yeah. I have no rhythm at all anymore. <laughs> I just can't. He says that, but he can get some jump rope in every now and then. Oh, God, I can't jump at all. I should jump rope very well, too. Yeah, I think it's a few days in. But my biggest issue is with rhythm now. I think that's the DPS first one. And I've seen that in a lot of your, your movement. I think then it's difficult. Most people, I would say, slow down to find the rhythm. It's not a matter of slow down or speed up for you because it's at different points in those poles mm. or the retraction where, like you said, your brain kind of like freezes and the light sort of flickers a little bit and it's, stuff like that. It's looking for a different neural pathway to hit. Yep. If it hit, it's, a block, it's like a hit, it, hit, it hits a block in the road. Go down the house and there's a bunch of cars and we stop and you from going. You gotta find a new neural pathway to hit. Exactly, and that that's exactly I, I you know I use that same explanation when I'm when I'm talking to new athletes that are just getting into weightlifting because Olympic weightlifting attacks the central nervous system pretty heavily. Uh, a lot of times, athletes will will talk to me about like, or I'll see athletes that they come in to do a weightlifting thing one day, and then the next day they're moving terrible, and I'm like, yeah, you need a break, and it's exactly that. Your central nervous system is like a super highway of information, but it does get backed up. And just like any other like backup, when when we get a big pile up on the highway and there's a long line of like cars backed up, what do some people do that know the area? They start taking little side roads and little side tracks. Well, we don't want to do that. We want to make that super highway bigger and bigger and bigger and train that as much as we can. So the goal is to always try to do it as good a movement as possible. Uh, with the rower, I would say that if you have those days that things feel choppy, keep looking for the good reps. You know what I mean? And the more good reps that we get in, the more habitual it's going to be. You know what I mean? The more your body's going to get into sense. that. Okay. Exactly. Good it's going to take a little bit longer, I think, to develop some of those some of those techniques and some of that muscle memory. But I do expect that after about three, four months of you doing this rowing thing, I really do expect to see your form. Like, I fully expect to see your rowing technique much more similar to what the rest of the athletes are, where you have that nice long pull, and then the handle goes back before you do. Because right now, you kind of start to come back at the same time as the handle, mm. and then the pull, usually pretty good. The pull back is usually pretty good and powerful. Stuff. It's the way back that messes with your rhythm someday. I'm running a long stride down to it. I'm a short stride right now. Comes with flexibility, but we're getting there. And we will. Flexibility is a whole other animal. That's not my front, though. That's Coach Elise. She's the yoga instructor. All right. And with that, I think Coach Elise is, is, is off. I think, I don't know where she went, but okay. I think we're going to finish this thing up, wrap it up here. Sounds good. Good stuff, Mike. Again, can you shout out real quick where you can find, where people can find your podcast at? On RadioPockies.com. All, all podcasts are saved on my uh, Too Much Radio Show Facebook page. So check that out. Mike Qualia is like the expert around here. If you are an athlete, um, that suffers from Parkinson's disease, or you know somebody that does, link up with this guy if you haven't already. Um, he'll get you started on some good stuff, get you moving around. If you're making excuses right now, don't. Don't right? get out of here and exercise. Only okay. to prove your slow progression of Parkinson's. Go to the gym. All right, that's all we got. Um, we'll see you guys next week. All right, go to the gym.